We just sang a spiritual song, More Holiness Give Me. If you were paying attention, the word more occurred in that little short song 24 times, heading 24 prayer requests about a holy and pure life dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. We then sang, Who Was on the Lord's Side? Because we're in a war. It's a war, and we have lusts on the inside that are in conspiracy with the enemy to destroy us. And how many of us and how passionate will we fight this warfare and live for the Lord Jesus Christ? I preached this morning about Romans chapter 10, And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How can we know that our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our baptism are valid in the sight of God? It's by bringing forth a holy life. It's by being blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights in the world. Please open the inspired scriptures to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and let's take up a warning that occurs here for us to be living all out for the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not want to be the watered down, milk toast, compromising, carnal, worldly type of Christians that defines that word today. We want to be sold out, worshiping God as we heard from Psalm 100, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and rejoicing in the message of free grace like we heard from Romans 10, living the holy and pure lives like we sang just moments ago. And I hope that I can do this by God's blessing from these verses. I'm going to read to you a passage about widows. But I'm addressing the widows of this church only as much as they are Christians along with the rest of us. I am not preaching about widows, but the widows are going to take maybe a little bit of extra brunt just because that's to whom it's addressed. But I am not preaching about widows. I am preaching about the vast majority of you that are not widows. If widows are convicted by what little bit I bring out about them from the passage, that's okay too. Conviction is good for all of us. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 
Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Amen and amen. Amen. What a passage of Scripture presenting the Lord's welfare system for widows in the New Testament church. Let me briefly run through these verses for you. Honor widows that are widows indeed. Verse 3, honor here is financial support. It is not saying yes ma'am or no ma'am. The honor is the same as it is in verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And that's not saying pastor, pastor. That is financial support. Honor widows that are widows indeed. Widows indeed, those meeting Paul's qualifications, are to be supported by the church. Verse 4. But if any widow have children, it goes on to describe the fact that if a widow has saved family members, they are supposed to support her no matter her qualifications. She's supposed to be taken care of by her family. It's stated here in verse 4. It's restated in verse 8. It's restated in verse 16. Very important that Christian families do not shirk their duties and waste the charity of the church by supporting widows that could be supported by their families. Verse 5. Here is the definition and description of a widow indeed's lifestyle. When it says, now she that is a widow indeed and desolate, that means a widow that would be supported by the church. She's desolate, meaning she doesn't have any family to support her. What does she do? She trusts in God. Her whole dependence is upon the Lord. And so it's easy for the church to support such a person who loves the Lord and puts all of her confidence and trust in Him, though she has no family to support her. And she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. There's a woman in the Bible that did this. Do you know her name? We've had it mentioned to us in this assembly. Her name is Anna, which is the Greekified form of the Old Testament word Hannah. And she's found in Luke chapter 2. She was likely 105 years of age because she was a widow of 84 years from her, from her widowhood, in her widowhood. And she was probably married at around 14 and she was married for seven years. She could have been easily 105 years because the Bible tells us she was of a great age and she spent her whole time in the temple giving herself to fasting and prayer. And that's the description of a person, a woman, a widow, in this case sold out to the Lord. 
Now there's a temptation in the 21st century for us to think that is a weirdo. I will grant you that she is an exception. But she should be closer to the rule than is true in most churches. And I don't want it to be true in this church that such a person, such a person is entirely strange, but that we would understand this. But this is a description of what she would spend her time in, supported by the church. Would the church gladly support a widow of this character who would be spending her time in prayers and supplications? That means she's very conservative. Her entire character and outlook on life, she wouldn't take very much to maintain her, but what a benefit and blessing the church would receive. Verse 6, here's the other extreme of a widow, a woman that's lost her husband. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. This is not a widow that's living in sin. She's not selling her body on the street corner as a prostitute. She's just enjoying the fact that she dumped a husband and got rid of him by death. And so she's going to enjoy life. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. You say to me, but don't we have a right to have some pleasure in life? Not when it comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ in this kind of a context. Pleasure in your life should be so secondary to serving the church and the Lord Jesus. More on that and you'll see it. Verse 7, And these things give in charge. Paul told Timothy, Make sure that you charge families to support their widows and charge widows that they be serious about their lives that everyone can be blameless. Verse 8, If a person doesn't provide for their widows, they've denied the faith of Jesus Christ. They're not really Christians. And they're worse than infidels because infidels will take care of their parents in their old age. Verse 9, here Paul goes with some qualifications. Verse 5 was a description of her lifestyle as a widow indeed, what she would do with her time. Verse 9, begin the qualifications. Let not a widow be taken to the number under three score. Widows under 60 shouldn't be supported by the church because they're still young enough to have a hankering, hank, to uh, be considered, considering marriage as something they would still like. Above 60, there's less desire for that in the apostle's opinion. So 60 years of age is the minimum age for supporting a widow indeed by the church maintaining her full maintenance. Having been the wife of one man, she hasn't been a wife, lost one, married another one, lost one, married another one, showing that that's the most important thing to her. So she's limited to one husband. I'm not teaching about supporting widows. So if I'm not belaboring these points long enough for your comfort, forgive me. Because I have something more important than that to give you. Well reported of for good works. Not only does she think she has good works. This is a woman that has a reputation that is far and wide in the church for good works. If she have brought up children, that is if she's had children, she's brought them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This doesn't require a widow to have had children any more than it requires a bishop to have a wife in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when it says the husband of one wife. It just means that if he's married, he better only be married to one. If she have lodged strangers, so she's used her accommodations to take in strangers, she's washed the saints' feet in humility and service, She's relieved the afflicted that need help. She's diligently followed every good work. She just hasn't followed every good work. She's diligently done so. Those are Paul's qualifications. Verse 11, 
But those younger widows under 60, refuse them. Do not take them into the number of those that are supported by the church. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Now you say, is it waxing wanton against Christ to get married? No, not in those simple terms. But if a widow had committed herself to the church, that she was going to give herself to fastings and prayer and supplications, and the church was going to support her, and then she decides two years down the road, you know what, I miss having a husband, I think I want to get married, that's waxing wanton against Christ. She made a commitment of her faith that she was going to give the rest of her life to serve the Lord, and she reneged on it. That's what it means. Having damnation, that is God's judgment, because they have cast off their first faith. Their first faith is not when they first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their first faith is their commitment to be widows indeed by giving themselves to supplications and prayers. And they're casting that off because they want to get married now and they want to have their own family because they're not really committed enough to Christ to continue in the course that they first agreed to. Verse 13, and not only that, the word with all means in addition to that problem of getting married, with all they learn to be idle. If they don't have the right mindset and the right commitment and they're supported by the church, then they start being idle. And boy, when you have someone that's idle, someone that doesn't have something to do, someone that doesn't have a job, that's where trouble comes from. I've all, I've learned that in my 30 years of being in the ministry. All you have to do is look around and every commentary I read was horrifying. That anybody that doesn't have a job and doesn't have something to do, they are always the biggest public nuisance in any community. And so here is the warning from the apostle that not only will they wax wanton and get married and cast off their first faith and not keep the commitment they made to the church, but in addition they learn to be idle. And then what does that lead to? Wandering about from house to house and not only idle, here it is mentioned again, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. They get too involved in other people's lives. They worry too much about what other people are doing because they don't have anything going on in their life. A person that's working hard and is fully occupied with something doesn't have time to worry about other people. So, the Apostle's recommendation, I will therefore that the younger women under 60 marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion of the adversary to speak reproachfully. That's if they couldn't keep up a commitment of serving Christ for the rest of their lives. They couldn't be supported by the church because they're under 60. But his recommendation to avoid idleness is for them to get married, have children, and that'll keep a woman busy. For some are already turned aside after Satan. That is, some younger widows who had committed to the service of the church and were supported by the church had turned away to pleasure and getting a a husband, and that was Satan pulling them off of the commitment they had made. It It is not following Satan to get married in other circumstances, but in this one. If any, and then here we have repeated again in verse 16, it's repeated three times that all of us as children are responsible to support our parents when they can no longer support themselves. Now, if parents have done their job, they have an inheritance to give to their children and they can support themselves if they've done their job right. Because the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. He has money. The, the Bible says that children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. That's the rule. But, If there's a case where there's a widow that's not supported, the family's supposed to take care of her first, so that the church will not be charged, as verse 16 tells us, so that the church can use their limited funds and resources to support widows that are widows indeed. Why in the world would we want to waste the church's charity 
on a woman that has a family in the church, that family should be supporting the woman so that there is charity left over for widows indeed. And one characteristic of a widow indeed is she's desolate. She doesn't have a family to support her. Let me give you a few additional thoughts. If all of this is a surprise to you, and it shouldn't be, all you have to do is read Acts chapter 6, where we find out that the apostles called for the ordination of some deacons because the Grecian widows were complaining that they were not being taken care of equally with the Jewish widows in the daily ministration. It's full-time support. In the daily ministration for the widows there in the church of Jerusalem, was a huge church. They could have had hundreds or even thousands of widows. They needed deacons to oversee that business. And so you can see that in Acts chapter 6. I want to tell widows right now that if they don't have a family, they have a judge and a keeper that is far better than a family. The Lord Jehovah is called by His name Jah in Psalm 68, and He is the judge of widows. And in Jeremiah 49 and verse 11, there's a promise given to widows to put their trust in the Lord Jehovah, and He'll take care of them. A godly a godly widow without a husband, without the cares of a husband or a family, can pray more. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 34, it says, The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, how she may please the Lord, but the married woman careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Well, now, if that's true at 20, and that's true at 40, where the Apostle Paul would say, and I may repeat this a couple of times, if Paul would say that a 20-year-old could do better by being like him, than how much a 60-year-old who doesn't have the same problems that a 20- or a 40-year-old might have about marriage. Therefore, they can give themselves more to the service of Christ. And if you're thinking to yourselves, you're, you're, you're drawing us a very, a very hard line, I would remind you about the study on family planning and birth control that I gave you very recently where I showed you the family planning of men like Elijah and John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. Because if you love Christ enough, a husband is not that important. And if you love Christ enough, a wife isn't all that important. Now, why do we have wives? To avoid fornication. Not because they're better than Christ. But that is not my point. So I am moving on. Charity misapplied can be a great hindrance. I have mentioned that by reducing the amount of charity that could be used for those that deserve it more. God expects families to take care of their own. God's welfare rules are very strict. It's not like America at all, whatsoever. God's welfare rules are very strict because not everyone that wants charity deserves it. God's welfare rules are wise to reward the exceptional and to protect the gospel. It's amazing to read this passage and to consider it and to realize the church of Rome has reversed what it says. And it will take 15, 20, 25, and 30-year-old women and make them swear vows of celibacy to that church when Paul's suggestion, knowing the nature of the flesh, is to let them get married and have a family. Isn't that amazing? Let alone men who have a far greater need for a wife than a wife does for a husband, all things considered. And that idleness is a great curse. These are things that we can learn by going through these 14 verses. Though there is much value in each of these verses, and I could elaborate on them, it's not my topic. I want to come to my topic. My topic is in the sixth verse. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. My concern for you and for me 
is that because we live in the year 2013, because the world is obsessed and addicted to pleasure all around us, that we, though separate from the world and though following behind them, maybe at a little distance, are not as close to the pattern of living for Christ as the Bible describes. Do you understand my purpose? And to you and to me, I want to warn us by the terminology of the Holy Spirit that we be more spiritually minded than we have been and that we strive for more purity and holiness like we just sang. That it would not be said of me and not be said of any of you that we're dead while we live because we've made pleasure too important in our lives. The real pleasure of life is serving Christ. The real pleasure of this world is anti-Christ. To really get into the pleasure of this world, it pulls you away from Christ. Because this world is the enemy of God, and God is the enemy of this world. And when we befriend this world and flirt with it, we are the enemies of God. The Bible tells us this. And if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. So I want to just press us. My sermon is so simple. I have more to say, but it is so simple. And I just want you to be the living, living. I want you to be alive for Christ. I want you to be alive for our for God our Father in heaven. But look at the text. This is a different kind of widow from the widow indeed. The widow indeed trusts in God. Her whole life is wrapped up in the Lord her God, and she gives herself continually in supplications and prayers night and day. She's simply a prayer warrior living to pray. And you know, when a person like that, that may sound strange to you, but if you were to walk with the Lord to where you had that as your ambition and your desire, you would have greater pleasure doing that than anything else that can be done on earth. Because the Lord, being the pleasure of His people and the portion of His people, is greater than any other thing you could ever do. And to when you get that out of proportion in your life, let, most of us are married. And our wives, our jobs, our hobbies, our children get more important than they should be. It pulls us down into the flesh because it's the things of this world that are involved around all of them. And we are not walking with the Lord as closely as we could. So, 1 Corinthians 7 would say, those that have wives should be as though they have none. And those that trade as if they... I'm not going to turn to the passage. And those that use the world, not to be as those abusing it. There's descriptions there of making a choice where we put the things of the Lord first in our lives. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. This is not a widow that is sinning against the church. This is not a woman that is out living licentiously. This is just one who wants to have fun in her single state. And see, God wants fun secondary to serving Christ. And it should be secondary in all of our lives. This is a widow whose desires are ease and pleasure, making her worthless to everyone. Because she's not serving Christ and she's not serving the church because she's living for herself. You know, I don't have a husband. I don't have children. And off they go with their different things that they do. And I don't want to say any more about widows because I am not preaching to widows. I am preaching to all of us as Christian members of this church. I want to show you some terms that the Holy Spirit uses in this passage. 
First of all, it's in verse 6. She liveth in pleasure. Do you remember what a belly worshiper is defined as in the Word of God? Is a belly worshiper someone that is out worshiping Buddha who has a big belly? What is a belly worshiper according to Philippians 3, 18 and 19? Mind earthly things. That by itself should tell you where I am and that I am on solid ground in the interpretation of this passage. You are a belly worshiper and an enemy of the cross of Christ if you mind earthly things. If your mind spends most of its time thinking about the things of this life, and that includes your spouse, and that includes your children, but not the things of heaven. We're supposed to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So keep that in mind. A belly worshiper doesn't have to go out and worship Buddha. They just have to mind the things of this world. And the Lord says they're belly worshipers and they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Liveth in pleasure is in verse 6. Dead while she liveth in verse 6. I don't want the Lord to say of any of us, today, tomorrow, they're dead while they live. They think they're living because they're doing this and they're doing that and they're getting promotions and they have a nice car and they have a nice house, but they're dead while they live. Would to God we had less in all of those things and more of Him in each of our lives. But if we keep reading in this passage... We come down to verse 11, and it says, When they have waxed wanton. Wanton means unbridled lust, uncontrolled desire for the things of this life. They're waxing wanton against Christ. Remember, you're enemies of the cross of Christ if you mind earthly things. I know that is staggering to accept, especially in this generation, because we live in the perilous times of the last days. When men have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, and this passage is all about the power of it. All about the power of it. If you go back to Philippians 3, 18 and 19, that says what I have said now several times in a row, verses 17, 19 and 20, verses 17, 20 and 21 around it are about the Apostle Paul and that we're supposed to live like him. Was he an average Christian by anyone's definition? No, he was exceptional, just like the widows indeed are exceptional, and I want us to be closer to exceptional than average, especially in these perilous times. The world throws everything at you people. It throws it at me. It throws it at our children and our grandchildren. To be successful, to measure themselves with the things of this life, by their job, by their education, by their physical fitness, and on and on it goes, when those are not the things of life. The things of life are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to make your calling and election sure and to serve His people. She waxes wanton. What words that the Holy Spirit uses for a widow that's looking to have a good time since she doesn't have a husband to worry about. And it's against Christ because she's living in pleasure. She's put pleasure too high on our list of priorities. Having damnation. What do you think about that in verse 12? Is that some decent language? That doesn't mean going to hell any more than it means going to hell in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. God's judgment is upon that person. And God's judgment was upon a widow that would have committed herself to serve Christ and then renege on that commitment because she wanted to have fun more than serve Christ. How many of you go out of here and want to have fun more than serve Christ? Do I go out of here and want to have fun more than serve Christ? 
having damnation because she's cast off her first faith. I've explained that to you. I've exp- I've taught you 14 verses very clearly and very simply today already on a subject that's not even mine for today. And then in verse 15 it says they've turned aside after Satan. If you're not following hard after God, who are you following? There's only two options. There's nothing else in this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He worketh in the, in the children of disobedience. He's the prince of this world. If you're loving the things of this world, you have turned aside after Satan. You say, can I still have a job? Yes. Do you know how you work that job? As under the Lord Christ. Colossians chapter 3. Don't ever look at a profession that you're going to get as something big for you. Look at it as something you can do for Christ. And the money that you get from it, I'm going to spend it in Christ's kingdom. Then you can keep yourself pure. Can I have a spouse? Yes, it says, I thought it said it, Mary. So why are you getting worked up at me? Didn't it say here, I will therefore that the young women marry? Because the apostle knows the needs of a young person. Oh Lord, the language of dead while she liveth is what I want you to think about. Are you dead? This is God's opinion. Are you dead? You're going to work. You're keeping your lawn looking nice. The car's washed. You go to the gym three to five times a week. Are you dead? That is what the Holy Spirit would say. Because I'm supposed to give these things in charge that everyone may be blameless. Are you dead? Are you so worked up about your job, going to school, your wife, your little chillins? Christ is far more important. That's why Jesus didn't have any little chillins. The kingdom of God was far more important to Him. Everything I'm saying is entirely consistent with the family planning preaching that I did recently. And it's consistent with the whole Bible. We want to get rid of anything that will take us away from Him. I would have you to be without carefulness. And so the Bible teaches us. Dead. The, The prodigal's father said of him twice in Luke chapter 15, This my son was... Dead. He wasn't really dead. He was just dead as far as any relationship with the Father. You're not really dead. That's why it says she's dead while she liveth. You're all living sitting in those PUs, and you're all living by the amount of foods you ate next door at the fellowship hall between services, but are you dead? Are you wrapped up in your job? Are you wrapped up in information? Are you wrapped up in education? Are you wrapped up in athleticism? Are you wrapped up in physical fitness, health, anything? We want to be wrapped up and consumed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And to every bit we fall short of that, you have a reason to stand in doubt of your salvation. That's why we're supposed to be working it out with fear and trembling. That's why we're supposed to be adding to our faith virtue and those things that are listed in 2 Peter chapter 1. I want us all to be the greatest Christians possible so when the Lord Jesus looks at this church, He doesn't say like He said to Sardis, they have a name that they're alive, but they're dead. You know, what if our name in the street was Living Waters Baptist Church? Do churches name themselves ridiculous things like that? Yes. Living Waters Baptist Church. But then the Lord looks in the church and finds out that between services and in services, the only thing we're thinking about is the pleasure that we're going to have between services. They're dead while they live. He said that at the church at Sardis in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. In James chapter 5 it says, When a brother falls into error and we convert him... Let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. 
We don't want to be dead. When we wander out of the way of understanding, we end up in the congregation of the dead. Are they really dead or are they living dead? They're living dead. They're the dead living. They're dead while she liveth. Lord, help us. Look at Colossians chapter 3 with me. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Will you remember those words? Will he that, will you, will you remember the words this way? But he that liveth in pleasure is dead while he liveth. Colossians chapter 3. The Lord knows that I have not spared you these verses. And I thank Brother Stephen for the exhortation about reminding you of things that you're established in, but I don't know if you're living them like you should, and and me as well, with the rest of you. And Brother Zach gave me the same exhortation privately between services. Can, Can you imagine that you would have a spirit between the two of you that says the same things? Amen. Amen. Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, this is these are those baptized believers that I preached about in the first service. If ye then be risen, that's in baptism. It tells us that in the last half of chapter 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We want to look all the way into heaven and see what's important going on there. And we want to be doing those things and loving those things while we're here on earth. Set your affection on things above. The world is going to try to get you to love their things. They're going to tempt you, entice you, and seduce you in every way possible. They're going to, uh, they're going to package it in every way that they can to make you love this world. But you are to set your affection. You hold those affections and you put them where they belong and don't let anyone seduce those affections or entice them. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. Now this is a way that we're supposed to be dead. Because in baptism we said, I am dead to the world. I am dead to pleasure. It's no longer going to have dominion over me. I am now a servant of the living Lord Jesus Christ. I die to self to live for Him. We said that in baptism. Anybody want to get rebaptized right now? I'll be first. Who will do the baptizing? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is He your life? Or is it your job? Is it your income? Is it the size of your house? Is it your kids? Is it your wife? Is it your physical fitness? Is it your waist measurement? What is it? That's your life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Do you want to know that you're going to appear with Him in glory? Then set your affection on things above, because I want to tell you something. There's no natural man in the history of the world that has set his affection on things above. But we can do it, and we should do it. Was the Apostle Paul dead or alive in the sense that I'm using it today? Oh, he was alive. Is he too much for us? Or should we strive to be like him? What did he say? Did he say, follow us? Did he say, follow me? He wouldn't put that kind of a burden on us, would he? Was it a, who was the happiest man in the New Testament? The Apostle Paul had to be. How, why do you say that, Pastor? Because he was the closest to the Lord. And he was the one working the hardest for the Lord. He had to be the happiest. Because that's where happiness comes from, is serving the Lord. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't need much more of your time if you'll just nod your heads and tell me you've got the message. 
He that liveth in pleasure is dead while he liveth. What makes you dead? What are you wrapped up in doing? Other than loving Christ. You say, well, how, do, how can I love Christ? Oh, I've given you one example. Supplications and prayers day and night. You say, well, that's a little too spiritually minded for me. That's why I'm preaching this message. Be thankful. Send me a note afterwards and say thank you for telling me that I'm not spiritually minded enough. You say, that just sounds like, that sounds like a nun. That sounds like a monk. Well, we don't want to look anything like those Catholic caricatures of the truth. But we certainly do want to look like 1 Timothy 5, 5 and not verse 6. We want to look like Paul. 2 Timothy 3, here's the problem. Verse 1, you know this, but I'm reminding you. I'm stirring your pure minds up by way of remembrance. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Do you love what you're doing in life? Are you a lover of yourself? Covetous. What do you wish you had that you don't have? Boasters. What do you tell others and act? What do you tell others about yourself? Proud. You think you're something when you're nothing. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Oh, and here's what we want, because it matches up with 1 Timothy 5, 6. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You can't have them both. you got to put them in a very serious order. You've got to put the Lord Jesus Christ Seriously, number one, I want to do anything for you today that I can do to please you. Anything. I will work the job today while you're driving to work as unto you, Lord Christ. I will serve you this day in every everything I do on the job. Every wife should wake up in the morning. The Lord has given me a husband to serve, but I'm going to serve him as unto the Lord. Because the Bible says, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As unto the Lord. Everything we do, whether we live or die, we should do as unto the Lord. But lovers of pleasures. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Every day we want to organize our time and our energy and what we're able to do and dedicate it toward the things of heaven. That involves reading the Bible. That involves prayer and supplications. That involves serving the saints. That involves witnessing to others when you have an opportunity That involves working to serve the church better. That means volunteering for things in the church. We want to, we want to gear our lives around the Lord Jesus Christ or we end up having a form of godliness without the power thereof. This should be the demanding influence in our lives and that's to serve the Lord. It goes on next to say there in verse five, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And Paul told Timothy, when you run into any Christians like this, From such, turn away. These are not real Christians. These are Christians that are a threat and a danger to the real saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the real saints of the Lord Jesus Christ put the Lord Jesus Christ and His things first by a choice. They set their affections there. So they pray more. You know, if you only pray three minutes a day, you could start praying six. And when you've had a week at six, try twelve. And when you get done with 12 minutes, try 24. You say, well, I wouldn't have enough time for... (laughs) 
Come here and we'll work through your 168 hours. Or, or should I put it this way? Your 1,440 minutes a day and you're already balking because I mentioned praying 24 minutes? What kind of a person was it in verse 5 of 1 Timothy 5 that was continually in prayers and supplications day and night? What was Anna like? You say you're setting the bar so high I don't think I can get to it, Pastor. Well, then just hang around and I'll see if I can find a little footstool for you. But that's what we want to aim for. We don't want to aim for relaxing. Because we've got the truth. We've got the truth of eternal justification. And we get, we go to church for four hours a week. Four hours a week. Out of a 168. Is that a very big percentage? Is it about 3%? So we haven't tithed your time? Should you tithe your time? Should you have an altar at home? Should you have a temple at home? Should you have a prayer closet at home? Where you can go and pray in secret, read the word of God in secret. Those that live in pleasure are dead while they live. And the apostle warned Timothy, and so I'm warning you because of these warnings, they're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, and that is the Christian today. The typical, the average Christian today is a lover of pleasure, not a lover of God. We don't want to be anything like them. I don't want those words said about me that he waxes wanton against Christ, that he has damnation. He's a minister and he spends time doing this or that or this or that instead of serving me. And I want you to be the same. And you can do it on the job. Colossians chapter 3, the last four verses describe it for you. We easily default to lethargy, slothfulness about our spiritual duties, forgetfulness, distraction, routine and ruts. I don't want you to. You know, marriage defaults to it. And it shows by a a loss of passion that you had when you were dating, and you're less passionate after you get married. Marriage declines that way because you don't put forth the same effort that you did in the beginning. Business does that. Your jobs do that. It's by a constant slipping of focus. It's so easy to lose focus on the job. Lose some of your organization. Lose some of the repair if you own your own business. Some of the zeal that you had when you first got employed and you were going to tear the place up. We, we, we understand how it happens, but it, under, it happens in our spiritual life because in our spiritual life we have the greatest enemy of zeal, and that's the devil himself and this world and our flesh. And those three enemies together do not want us to live all out for Christ. And while I'm preaching this, I know that he's making all kinds of excuses in your little minds. Because my little mind, if you need me to say the same thing, does the same thing. It wants to have my cake and eat it too. I want the cake of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and I want the cake of the world at the same time in my flesh. Can't have them both. No man can serve two masters. So guess what? If you're serving the cake of this world, you are flunking before God. You are dead while you're alive. What do you talk about? Think about everyone you talk to in this church. And what do you talk about? Do you talk about jobs? Health? Who cares about bodily health? Bodily health is so far down the list of priorities. Listen, some of the best saints in the Word of God were the sickest saints. You don't need a good body to serve Christ. You need a good soul to serve Christ. You need a spirit that is sold out to Him. You need affections on Him. Let the body rot. 
But God, have mercy and strengthen and heal my soul. What do you talk about? Do you talk about politics? Who cares what's going on in this nation? We're members of a holy nation. You talk about the weather? You can't control the weather? Why would you ever talk about the weather? Except to praise God like we did this morning from Psalm 29 about Him giving us a little M80 last night right over my house. But we talked about the Lord in it. We want to bring glory to the Lord. I want to thank Him for it. I did thank Him for it. And we've had thanks for Him doing that here. What about your church attendance? You can think about your actual count of how many services you skipped because you just didn't quite feel like it. Or if you were here, but you weren't here in spirit. Or if you were here, but you didn't prepare for it diligently. You didn't pray for it diligently. You just showed up. Just remember, that's not good enough. That's waxing wanton against Christ. That's not good enough. We can do better. I once preached to you a sermon. We can do better. He deserves better than that. That's because David wasn't content with that tent for the Lord. He wanted to build him a temple. He deserves better from us. Jerry used Malachi chapter 114. He's a great king. We're cursed if we bring anything less than our best. Anything less than our best. If it's not your best, it's not good enough. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. Your participation. Do you volunteer and jump in for the ways that you can serve? I give opportunities to get in this pulpit. It's a privilege of this church. It's a wonderful opportunity. Do you jump up and want to get up here and say something to the church? Listen, I've already picked your content for you. How much easier can I make it? Do it for you? I will. I did for many years because I love the Psalms. Listen, that's David's, that's the Lord. David is the Lord's praise worship leader. And he's put down in writing what you can get up here and share with the church. Where's your zeal? I don't care about your zeal for your health. I don't care about your zeal for exercise or for school or for work. Not first. First, it's for the Lord. And then whenever you do those other things, it's for the Lord. Whenever you're in the gym, are you working out for the Lord? Are you telling the Lord, I'm doing this for you? And if you're in good enough shape to do everything else you need to do, you don't really need to be there. Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. I didn't make that comparison. The God of heaven did, who utters these kinds of judgments. He that liveth in pleasure is dead while he liveth. How much do you love God by your love for others? If you don't love others and if you don't serve them, you don't love God. You cannot love God and not be doing things for others. It's the labor of love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. It's not the feelings of love and it's not the words of love. It's the work of love. It's faith which worketh by love. God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. 1 John 3 and 1 John 4 would teach us it's impossible for a man to say, I love God. But then he doesn't do anything for anybody else. That's impossible. Because how can you love God whom you haven't seen, but you won't love those that you do see? You say, but I do love them. But if you're not doing anything for them, you don't love them. Because love is in action and deed. Go read 1 John 3 and 4 this afternoon. We can measure your love of God. God can measure your love of Him. God can measure my love of Him. I want to give Him more. If I'm the only one, so be it. I'll be content 
Because all I care about is pleasing Him. And I can only please Him by me and by telling you what the Bible says for all of us to be doing. How are your vital signs? Your vital signs of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. How able are you to put up with other people that offend you or irritate you? How much joy do you have in your life? How happy are you? How excited are you about living? How much at peace are you? Or you, you have strife and bitterness or grudges in your hearts? Resenting me preaching, resenting this person for that. You're going to hell. It's that simple. Show me the vital signs of a saved person. I just showed you one. She continues in prayer and supplications day and night. But how about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? What are you using your life for? Is your life for pleasure or service to the kingdom of heaven? Do you remember the marriage in Matthew 22 where God, the King, sent out His ambassadors to invite to the wedding of His Son? Do you remember the words of verse 5? Does anybody remember the words of verse 5 that should haunt us? But they made light of it. Do you remember when I preached on that? But they made light of it. How do we make light of it? We endure these few hours and we blow out of here and go do our thing. This is the most fantastic privilege and God has only granted it to a small portion of the human race and that is to know Him and to know His Son, Jesus Christ. He's chosen us to that glorious end. We have heaven waiting and pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. And He asks of us, if we're truly His children, and we're obedient children, and we're loving children, then we understand that this world is His enemy. He hates this world, and this world hates Him. And so we learn to hate it with Him. And we put its little pleasures in their proper place. And we do not flirt with this world, because we want to give Him all our love. Revelation chapter 2. I don't need more. I'll stop at Revelation 2. But you will come to Revelation 2. What does it say about those widows? That they had damnation. Their damnation was because they cast off their first faith. I bring you to a passage that talks about our first love. Every marriage... Every person that's ever been married knows exactly what this passage is talking about, losing your first love. Everyone that's ever had a job or a business or a car or a motorcycle or a gun or anything, the affection that we have for that thing that we have wanted for so long when we get our hands on it is high. It's great. I mean, we are looking at every single aspect and feature of it, and we are polishing it up, and you know if you're young and stupid enough, you'll sleep with a gun because you want it in bed with you. Because you love something. It's your first love for something. But then it starts to slip. You know, we see other guns. We shoot other guns. Or I'm, whatever. I, don't, I hate giving metaphors. They all stink. All I care about is what the Word of God says. And it says this, that there was a great church in Ephesus. And there's a six-chapter epistle written to it. But some of them were living in pleasure and were dead while they lived because they had let the things of this world creep in, so they had lost their first love. 
And though the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is the judge of His churches, and He is the only head of this church, I'm just speaking for Him today. Though He listed many good things about the church at Ephesus in the first three verses of Revelation 2, in verse 4 He said, Nevertheless, in spite of all those good things, I have somewhat against thee. Just like He had against the widow in verse 6. Just like He had against the widow in verse 11. 12 and 13, just like he had against the widow in verse 15, just like he has against most Christians today who are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, just like he has it against those that are belly worshipers who mind earthly things in Philippians chapter 3, I have somewhat against thee. I don't want the Lord Jesus Christ to have anything against you or me. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. Lord Jesus, do you mean that you, that you expect us to keep up our love and devotion for thee as, pass, as passionate and as fervent as it ever was at the best moment in our spiritual lives? Yes. I gave my life for you. And my entire life since I was raised from the dead is an intercession for you. Can you give your few years to me? The Apostle Paul would reason, and he would reason this way. He would say, we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. That they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. That's truly living right there. I have somewhat against thee, you've left your first love. So what should we do? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. I'm not going to compare you to you because the standard's too low. Sorry. I'm not comparing my own self to me. There's only one standard I want. It's the standard of God's Word. And when I read about a widow that's committed like that, and she's to be in just about every Christian church that there is, there should be a widow like that. Or the apostle wouldn't give it in a pastoral epistle. I look at her standard and I say, I must be living in pleasure a little more than I should be. Or maybe a lot more. I want to live more for Christ. That's what the whole sermon's about. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Don't think about yourself. Because I don't really care what you've been in the past. I want you to think about the widow. I want you to think about Paul. If you need a male, it's Paul. If you need a woman, it's Anna. Go read about her in Luke 2, 36-38. Remember from whence thou art fallen... And repent. Tell God that you're sorry and turn from your lukewarm approach to Him, having lost your first love, and do the first works. What are some of the first works? Prayer. It is a spiritual exercise. It is a tiring exercise to do it right, to keep your mind focused on the things of the Lord while you're praying. It's wrestling in the Bible when we look at Jacob's illustration of it for us. You can start with praying. Can you double your prayer time? Can you triple your prayer time? Trust me, I don't think anyone in here is going to get hurt at all. It won't even show up in the financial statements. It's immaterial. For any exceptions, forgive me. The Lord forgives me. But for all of us, can we remember the standard of God's Word? Can we repent for not meeting up to it? Can we do the first works? Paul would say, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. 
That's Ephesians chapter 5. That's long after they were elected in Christ and justified in Him in chapter 1. Long after they were regenerated in chapter 2. Long after Paul had prayed for them in chapter 3 to be filled with all the full dimensions of Christ's love. Long after chapter 4, learning about why they had ministers. It's way over in chapter 5. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Ephesians 5.14. That's all I... That's all I ask you to do on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ today Amen. so that none of us are confounded, ashamed, or are making haste in the great day of judgment because we've relied upon belief or faith in Christ like some of those we find in the pages of the New Testament where that faith did not work by love for Him. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.